1: Today, we have a wonderful guest on the show together with me. His name is Jacob Rothman. He is an American, but he speaks beautiful Chinese. And I was very, very impressed by him. (laughs) And, uh, well, we are going to use English to discuss this uh, topic, which I think uh, many of you will be very interested in. So we are going to talk about how to bring your ideas live through Chinese manufacturers. So if you have a great idea, and it's especially it's something that you want to build, then you can learn a lot from Jacob to understand how can, through some sort of a platform, some ways that you can Just very easily bring your ideas live and get it manufactured in China. And it's not very expensive, just compared to the U.S. standard. All right. So welcome to the show, Jacob. Hey, Michelle. How are you? Thanks for having me on. (laughs) I'm doing great. So I think uh, because we're doing this on Skype, you can help us to know where you are calling from today.
2: I am calling from downtown Shanghai, and believe it or not, there are blue skies and white clouds over the city today. Which so I'm I'm in a great mood because there's not the gray skies and pollution that we typically have day to day.
1: I totally understand what you are talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh... I mean, I'm, I'm from California. I, I miss the blue skies and ocean, and uh, when we get a day like this, it's really it's really makes you appreciate it.
1: Uh-huh, well, Jacob, I grew up in China. China wasn't uh, you know like this always when I was young, China had blue skies and uh, very very, very beautiful days. <laughs> yeah, these years the pollution gets so bad because of all this uh, economic development. <laughs> I hope yeah, we can do both sure. right yeah, we can grow the GDP, but in the meantime, if we can keep the environment clean and uh, protected, that will be great. Yeah, first got
2: here, it was, mm-hmm. it was much better. And I think it's actually the current administration is is on the road to cleaning things up. So I have confidence that uh, things will get better soon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you have been in China for many, many years. So how many years now?
2: 15 years, which really dates me. And the younger people in my office now laugh at me and say I'm old. But um, I'm 45 and I came here in my late 20s.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, so as a guy, you are not trying to tell people your age. I don't want to tell people my age.
2: <laughs> I won't ask. I didn't ask. I just uh, am happy to say that I am, in China, we say huā," uh, so I am blooming now, and I'm feeling good.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, at the year of 40, you're a blooming flower. <laughs> That's right. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Very happy to be blooming.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, you are the one of the founder, right? You have, I guess, you guys have a couple mm-hmm. of co founders yeah. and for a company called Platform 88. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's start from there. Uh, so, help our audience understand a little bit about uh, what you do. Uh, what is a Platform 88? And uh, after that, then we are going to talk a little bit about uh, why you. You know, you moved from California, the beautiful California, <laughs> to Shanghai or to China. I don't know where you landed first, but uh, stayed in Shanghai for quite some time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, platform 88, I own a factory with a, a partner, uh, and the factory uh, produces kitchen wares, and grilling items, and small electronics. And about five years ago, I put those two factories together with two other factory partners uh, who make. One factory partner makes water bottles and other kitchen items and coffee, and the uh, fourth partner makes small electronics. And we wanted to put our factory resources together to create a, a company or really a department within our factories to help innovators and startups develop their products.
1: Hmm. So my understanding, just based on your very brief introduction here, and of course I did some research. Platform 88 is a, <laughs> is a is a is a platform because you guys call it a platform. Uh, you guys not only just manufacturing your own products, you are making this as a place that you can help other people if they want to manufacture something, get products built, then you guys can help them. Is that correct?
2: Between our four factories, we can make most of the things that we want to make. And the reason why we called it a platform is uh, for most of the time that I've been here, China and factories and businesses have been sort of a closed ecosystem. Um, And I wanted to take our four factories and really open the doors as wide as we could and say – look, we've been doing this for 15 years, these are the resources that we have, how can we share them with you, whether it's customers, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's branding, whether it's any of the things that we've been lucky enough to learn on our journey, Uh, how can our factories sort of open themselves up and share those things with you so we can help build new companies?
1: Hmm. So open-door factories, and four of them, each of the factories have some specialties. So together, you guys can make most of the consumer stuff. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, we're a little bit different. Some of the people that maybe show up on these types of podcasts because we're we're really rooted in consumer products. Uh, We'll do things that are smarter, IoT-based, but for the most part... We're really excited to talk about cups and containers and spatulas. And, and we'll do, like I said, we'll do things with apps and Bluetooth and, and Wi-Fi. But uh, for the most part, the four of us, have been making really sort of traditional products for uh, the last 15 years.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's a very interesting idea, you know, as you mentioned, uh, open your factories to do things for other people and to help them to build their products. I am curious about, uh, because as a... American, then you know, just thinking about uh, how did you get to today, right? Not just uh, only your own factory, but also working together with your partners, with other factory owners, and uh, come up with this brilliant idea, have a platform, <laughs> and doing all this. <laughs> so yeah, uh, there's tons of questions I want to know. <laughs> let's start sure, a little sure, by sure. Little. Yeah, let's start with uh, yeah. as a young guy in your twenties, why did you go to China? And stayed there so long.
2: (laughs) I think my story is also the sort of the story of manufacturing in China, because each sort of pivot or
1: iteration
2: along the way reflects really major changes in how things are sourced and manufactured here. So when I left California, my family had a factory in Stockton, California, and we made brooms and mops and brushes for Costco and Sam's Club and Smart and Final and those types of places, and. Originally, when I went to China, it was, a, you know, for very traditional reasons, to source products. And um, so from there, I went just really looking to source things that our factory, California, needed. And eventually, really excited when I got here. I was in my 20s, and I was excited to learn the language, and culture, and, and be a part of China, uh, which at the time, you know, it's different from, it, from what it is now. It was really waking up. Uh, China started waking up during the Nixon administration, but um, when I got here, Culturally, the middle class and money and openness to the West and other places in the world, it was really in the beginning of it. And it was just so exciting to be here. I opened an office here. And so I opened that, an office. It oh, really uh, just, just a trading when, company.
1: Yeah, when was that? Uh, year 20-something?
2: Yeah, something. Yeah, so about, really about 15 years ago, right?
1: Uh-huh. So that's uh, 20, 2003?
2: Yeah, and when I got here, I found you know things were just they weren't as um, you know things were really waking up in all parts of China, and not just some parts of China. You know, everyone was sort of uh, participating in this. And I remember when China launched a um, people into orbit. Um, huh. I was sitting around with a bunch of factory workers watching it, and the excitement was just so contagious, right? I mean, it was such pride in, in this milestone that was happening. And, you know, it was really exciting. It was, and it was so exciting that I, I it made me want to stay here.
1: Wow. So I think uh, as your story told, when you were a young man in your 20s, you came to Shanghai and you were sourcing products to buy from China, then sell in the U.S., and then you were excited by the growth, all this booming, the new development in China. And you, then you decided to stay. Huh?
2: Yeah. So I opened an office. And this is where things get interesting because it was really where China was at in terms of manufacturing and sourcing. So I opened a trading company. And at the, at the time that I was here, most people who wanted to buy products, they used trading companies, either based in Hong Kong or Taiwan. Uh, and those trading companies would act as an intermediary between the factories who were really not as professional as they are now. And they needed somebody in the middle to help with translation and and just basic business transactions. And we tried to do it a little bit better than other trading companies by adding a design team. So I would say we were a design-based trading company. And where we were at that time was similar to where China manufacturing was at the time. And that was sort of like the first stage of me getting to Platform Mediate now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when China started to, you know, open the door and attract a foreign investment. At that time, maybe it's more like in the 1990s to the early stage of 2000. China is more like a big manufacturer for the world. And the China factories, they take the order from the customers and then they, they make it. Then the brand will be the customer's brand a lot of times. And uh, it's made in China. but uh, You know, most of the products were not uh, really designed by the Chinese factories. It's more like based on the designs, the requirements from the foreign companies, from the clients, then they make it. That's the first, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was in China, right? I was, I left China in 1998. So I remember uh, because I I went to see different companies and I saw lots of uh, workers on the production line and uh, making those type of products. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was an interesting time. There was a book that was called, I think, Poorly Made in China, where it was, I remember some of the passages in it where it was talking about, you know, people would show up and anyone who had a um, a product from abroad, like something really cool that they'd bring to the factory. The factory owners were really excited and, you know, wanted to do business and, you know, look at the product and see how they could make it or improve it. or You know, the factories were really waking up. But at the time, you still... Most people relied on trading companies to interact with the factories. That's why we, we opened a trading company in the beginning. Mm-hmm.
1: So how was that business going?
2: It was good, but then, you know, like everything else, you know, things change. And uh, customers, retailers started putting more and more pricing pressure on the trading companies. And it got to a point where you really couldn't be a trading company and operate successfully here. You know, things, uh, prices got compressed, And I felt at the time, if I didn't make a a jump to become a factory, that I might lose out because as pricing got compressed and people like Target and Walmart and uh, large brands started sourcing directly from factories, the people in the middle really couldn't make it so much. And the factories at the same time, with that extra pressure, increased their abilities, right? So they, they got better. So I would say the second stage of me being here was becoming a factory, so I took my trading company and merged with one of my largest suppliers. And that's how a guy from Santa Barbara, California, became a factory owner here in China. <laughs>
1: I would imagine uh, just thinking about it because I worked in companies that they manufacture, you know, products, right? Consumer products. Uh, I was there for only one year, but uh, I remember in my impression that uh, the management style of uh, working with workers is very different than if you are working with those buyers and, uh, you know, different type of people. Yeah, so how did you adjust yourself?
2: Well, okay, so when I first started, I, you know, brought all my sort of California values about, you know, how to manage people and and uh, I wanted to bring that to the factory and, you know, hopefully make everything work. And I have to say, I wasn't that successful in the beginning. And so I sort of figured out with my business partner, um, okay, you're going to ma- manage the factory workers and I'm going to do what I'm better at, which is probably design and interacting with customers. So we sort of had to find our way between the cultural differences and we did, which was good. I, you know, as I was a trading company, I, I studied Mandarin and, and so I was able to, um, to sort of have one foot in the Chinese side and one foot in the Western side. And, you know, we worked it out. We were able to figure out how to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious about uh, if you summarize ab- about the the difference in the value or in the you know the cultural and in the management style, right? I think you are smart enough that uh, you more focusing on the customer side and the design side, and then you have your Chinese partner focusing on managing the the factory and the workers. But uh, I bet uh, during all these years, you probably have quite uh, a lot of insight on what the differences are and if you have to manage the workers and how you would do it based on your experience and study. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, I think you have to look at, to answer that question, I think you have to look at at what time in China's history. Because as I made the transition from being a trading company to a factory, China was still growing economically. So factory workers were used to a very top-down management where they were just told what to do, their opinions weren't really brought into it, it's not just factory workers, factory workers, office staff, everyone in the organization were really used to a very top-down, very strict uh, organizational style. And so at the time, I would say the values that I brought with me or the style that I would brought with me from you know liberal arts education and a California background, you know, wasn't appropriate. But now as China has developed, you know, we're talking about all sorts of things uh, that we wouldn't have talked about in the very beginning. We're talking about working hours and making sure that the quality of life at the factory is really great. And so, actually, it's interesting because now we're going back to where I was, you know, maybe 10 years ago. (laughs) Uh And I'm now taking the lead at the factory uh, in terms of how to help solve, you know, worker satisfaction and quality of life <laughs> because my partner is like, well, I don't understand. Of course, everyone <laughs> wants to work overtime. And, and I'm saying, well, maybe not. Maybe they have a life and a family and, and jobs. Uh, I mean, the things that they want to do other than their jobs. So um, as China's developed and is in a different place now, so are the people that you work with. And it's really an interesting time. We're, we're, we're talking about overtime hours and you know, how to make the job really meaningful for people and inspiring people and encouraging people. And my partner's reading, you know, Lean Startup and Purple Cow and all these <laughs> management books that, that we would have never, ever looked at when we, when we, when we started. You know? mm-hmm.
1: so. Yeah, this is this insight is really, you know, I think uh, it's really exciting because that's uh, kind of hits the point of China is growing and is catching up, not just from technology side. Uh, but also from management side. When I left China 20 years ago and came to the U.S. to study MBA, at that time, uh, the reason uh, I left China was I wanted to, to learn Western, more advanced uh, modern management uh, philosophy and uh, methods, methodologies. And then I want to bring that uh, whole system, uh, those things back to China to help China improve management. I think, uh, yeah, we do see this change through these years and uh, sounds like uh, from your experience, uh, China is naturally catching up on this or at least on the path uh, of learning not just technology, but also all these uh, management uh, things. and. Um, trying to, and the Chinese workers are changing from previously, you know, they would like to work over hours because they want to earn more money to today. They want to Mm. have a work-life balance and want to enjoy life. Yeah, that's great. And it's
2: wonderful. it's, It's one of the many misconceptions that I think people coming from the West have about China is how really far they have caught up in terms of all sorts of things from IP protection to creativity to work-life balance. And I mean, I'm sitting in a co-working space right now because we have a small office in Shanghai. We have larger offices at our factories, but um, I'm sitting in a co-working space and I'm watching people run around and talking about iterating and pivoting and doing all this great stuff. And I, you know, I'm in love, you know, I'm really happy to see China at that place now, you
1: know? sounds great okay I think it's time to take a quick break and then we will be back right away
0: China is now the second largest economy in the world there are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: All right, we're back. So today I am with Jacob Rothman, the founding partner of Platform 88. Uh, We are discussing about uh, how to bring your ideas live through Chinese manufacturers. And uh, Jacob is a, is from California and, but he's living in Shanghai and lived in China for uh, 15 years already. So before the break, we talked about uh, his personal journey as well as the, the China's manufacturing journey. We talked about a phase one, phase two. And I think, uh, Jacob, I, I guess after the phase two, then we're, naturally launching into your phase three. So tell us more about your okay. phase
2: three. <laughs> well, phase three of my next five-year plan, right? So so as a factory, you know, we spent a lot of time making sure that our systems were correct and our marketing was correct and our, and how we engage with customers was correct. And, you know, then we got on to this idea of startups because the market changed. You know, we went from a trading company to a factory. And, and now because of, the way the world is, the business world for for consumer products and other products uh, changed. You now have Amazon, which really wasn't there when we started. You have Instagram, you have Kickstarter, you have Indiegogo. And you have all these ways for small brands to start that are addressing solutions and, and interesting products that didn't exist before, right? And so we wanted to create a platform to support that. So that's how Platform Media got started with the idea that, how do you change your manufacturing? How do you change your factory environment so that you could embrace people who just were starting out? When I got out of school, I wanted to be a rabbi. <laughs> I, I, was, I really was convinced that I was going to go from school to rabbinical school and, and help people and, and, uh, in a rabbinical way. And it's been nice that this next stage of my career is about trying to help and nurture and, and grow uh, startups. And uh, that's how Platform 88 got
1: started. Well, I am a Chinese, so when I see platform numbers 88, you know, I know that uh, resembles something. I want to hear from you. <laughs> well, you guys picked this name, right? Why do you put a number 88 here, the two eight? Uh,
2: oh, you know, because 88 is an eight and then 88 is a lucky number in China. So I wanted it to be Slightly um, cheesy or slightly slightly you know to sort of bring a little bit of Chinese culture in. my Chinese partners don't love it so much, but you know when we describe it to to foreigners there or people from outside of China oh, eighty eight is a lucky number, great. So you know <laughs> I, I want us to be a, to be a platform to help people, and I want us to be lucky as well. So mm-hmm. that's why it' uh, eighty eight.
1: Great. Yeah. Uh, I believe you will have good luck in this. And I really love this idea. Yeah. So how long have you have this uh, new company, Platform88, now?
2: It's been about five years, I think. So we started about five years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Can you share with us some examples of how you helped others in terms of getting their ideas or getting their designs live and build products for them?
2: Sure. Well, the manufacturing part is, is more or less similar to anyone, large or small, that would manufacture. We look at the designs and drawings. I would say one way from the manufacturing part that we might help more than, than other factories or other manufacturing partners is, you know, we have a pretty big industrial design, and a pretty big engineering department. So when small companies come to us, they oftentimes don't have the budget to hire all the people they need to on their team. So we give them our team and help them bring things from that are more of an idea into more of a fully formed, manufacturable product.
1: So you guys start uh, uh, from designing the product and make it uh, something that uh, really be able to be produced in a more scale way.
2: Sure. Most of the people we work with already have the basic idea, but you know maybe they haven't thought through some of the engineering or mechanical issues to make it an, into a real product that can be produced in a mass scale way.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So then with that kind of work, right, because you guys are not just taking their design and, you know, like the the first stage you mentioned, well, people take this design and just make it, the IP does not belong to the factory or to the manufacturer. So with your platform, who owns the IP? Who owns the design of the product? And then who owns the brand? I'm just trying to get to know more about this.
2: So our customers, of course, own the IP and uh, design and brand. We're just helping them to produce it in the first stage of what we do. We just help them to produce it. And all the IP, the branding, the, everything that goes into making the product or brand or a product belongs to our customers, not to us.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so whoever's idea is the IP or belonging to them. Mm. Sure. Oh. Well, because I have been hearing different uh, concerns, especially in the tech world where I live. Sometimes people worried about their IP being stolen or being violated uh, when they are working with sure. Chinese companies, right? So even though you are a American and you live in China, <laughs> your factory is in China, <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, what do you see from this side? Any, you know, any issues on this? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, of course, there is theft of IP in China. But there's also theft of IP in every other country in the world as well. And there are, have been examples, many examples of China and Chinese factories stealing IP. But I think you're dealing with an older story in China. Um, I I was invited to speak at an event Uh, in Shanghai about manufacturing and innovation in China. And we were sitting in a room full of young 20-something Chinese startups at at a WeWork in downtown Shanghai. And the, the, the first question that the interviewer asked was, how do you protect IP theft in China? And, you know, my response to him was, I don't think you should worry about IP theft so much as this generation of Chinese entrepreneurs moving faster developing better solutions, and beating you with their own ideas. Because uh, I really think that's the China that we have today. And I think it's a misconception that China is only involved in IP theft. I, it happens, but it happens everywhere. And I, I think Chinese firms you know, being blamed for this continually is really the wrong uh, perception of what's going on here.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your customers, I would say on this platform, those people who want to bring their ideas to you and then have it built, what kind of people are those? Can you tell us a little bit about the demographic of your customers?
2: Sure. I mean, there are people from all around the world. There are people that You know, are just starting out, either both in business or in their life. They're people that have left big companies. I would say the average are younger folks in their 20s and early 30s, and they have a product idea and they want to come here and see how they make it and then how to commercialize it in the market. And they're exciting. I mean, I I end up following, falling in love with almost all of them because you know they are really passionate about what they're doing. And now because of what we mentioned, Amazon and. Instagram and Kickstarter, and Indiegogo—they have a, a way to sell their products that really didn't exist before. When I first got started, if you if you didn't get into Walmart or if you didn't get into uh, Target, you know you you know there really wasn't much that you were able to do there. Um, but now there are lots of ways to sell your products and lots of ways to address smaller market products that address a specific problem that. A chain store can't really carry because they need to, can't carry a broad assortment of products. But through the tools that we have today, entrepreneurs with great ideas to address their markets can actually make great business.
1: Well, yeah, I love this idea because these days people, you know, become more and more, what's the word about it? Uh, So we are pursuing our individual dream and uh, showcase our personality as a person, individual, Mm -hmm. versus uh, trying to purchase those things uh, mass-produced like a commodity. (laughs) That's why I think, uh, yeah, there is a market for products that's manufactured or designed specifically for a group of people, even though it's not Mm -hmm. uh, a mass market, but uh, that uh, if you only make a small quantity and uh, meeting these niche markets or s- small group of uh, markets needs, then it's not a huge business, but it's still quite good business. And those big companies, they may not really want to get into that.
2: Well, but the, Some of these businesses can also be quite sizable as well. Once you find a way to satisfy and speak to a specific consumer with your product, you can have a great business and many of our customers in PDA do they find a product they you know a dog who you know is cold and they make a dog blanket for them or, or somebody <laughs> who likes a specific type of ground of coffee and they make a uh, a product that can actually do that type of coffee grinding or uh, water bottles that tell you exactly how much water you drank throughout the day or you know, and tie into your sport your Apple Watch, right? There's there's all sorts of great product channels for people who are listening and willing to serve those markets. And it doesn't have to be a small business. Some of these that we're working on are quite big actually.
1: Wow. So what is the product that's most impressed you so far?
2: Hmm. Well, I really like a team of people that we work for called Hydrate and they developed a an app controlled water bottle that tells you exactly how much uh water that you need and how much you drank throughout the day and and um they're doing awesome and you know they just got into target and they have a great business to consumer model already and you know i think they're doing really really well and i think they'll continue to do well
1: and how did they find you to you know to to work with you guys to manufacture that's what do you call that cup the glass hydrate Hydrate? Uh uh-huh yeah how did they find you to make that uh, bottle water bottle
2: we have a team of people who reach out to startups, and I, I believe someone from our team reached out to them. They've been over here many times, and we've shown product together at, at the CES show. And, um, you know, like finding any customer, you reach out and you negotiate. And, and um, you know, if, if you have an appropriate manufacturing platform, then hopefully you can get the business. And, you know, they're a great group of people that we've worked with for a number of years now.
1: Wow, sounds great. Then I'm also curious about uh, what if someday, because you have customers and you are continuing bringing in new customers and help their dreams become true, right? What is the capacity you guys have, and what if someday you know you just have so many people needing you guys to make their products?
2: Well, ninety percent of what we do actually isn't the startup model um, through Platform 88. We Each one of our factories has been around, all of our, um, the four partners are all about the same age, Um, and so we've all been doing this for at least 10 to 15 years. And so each one of the factory locations already has a pretty sizable customer base. So one outside of Hangzhou in Shizhou, we have about 800 workers, and they're making bottles and containers for Hydroflask and Stelton and well, clean Canteen and these types of OXO and these types of customers. In our, uh, my partners, two factories, we make products for Weber and Charboil, and we have about 400 workers there. And then the third and fourth factory have about two to 300 workers each. So combined, we have a fairly large staff making more traditional, branded consumer products and uh, products for chain stores. So I don't think there, obviously there's a limit, but I don't think in the startup industry we could actually – absorb all the startups and and have have a problem with production we have plenty of production capacity
1: wow you guys are doing pretty big now Mm -hmm. well i'm glad to hear (laughs) that okay i think it's time to take another quick break and we'll be back right away
0: You are listening to In China with Michelle Zo To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: All right, we're back. So, Jacob... Before the break, you talked about uh, your phase three, uh, which is... uh Using this platform and open up the factories and uh, help other people build their products. I'm very impressed by this idea because I remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember my brother when he was in high school. Uh, I think he was like, uh, uh, 15 years old, 15, 16 years old. He invented something and he he was in China at that time and he got uh, applied for his patent, but uh, his idea just stayed in paper forever. never never got it built. (laughs) If at that time there's somebody like you, right, have such a platform and can do things, you know, relatively quickly and with your expertise and help a a young inventor like my brother, you know, get their ideas to life. That will be really, really, I just think that will be something that, uh, you know, he will never forget. So do you have uh, maybe just thinking about uh, you probably have worked uh, with many people and helped many people turn their ideas into life. Can you share with us uh, some stories that uh, you find it is uh, touching your heart?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of them. One that um, probably cause I'm going to speak to them later this week, but there's one that I really like. There's a, a group of guys that left their jobs on wall street because they wanted to create a product that would help cut down on consumer waste. Uh, And they started it before the recent sort of, you know, craze to get rid of Starbucks and Costa Coffee Cups and everything. And they did a Kickstarter, had sort of, you know, mediocre success. I think they did a little over 100,000, maybe close to 200.
1: Let's explain to audience, just in case some audience don't know what is a Kickstarter.
2: Oh, sure. Kickstarter is a platform that you... Launch your product on, and the world sees it. And if they really like the product, they'll uh, support it by buying buying the product. And even though the product hasn't come out yet, they support it and hope that the startup team can finish the design, build the product, get it molded and shipped. Right. And so it it's a platform to help them uh, raise funds, launch, and fund their
1: yeah, yeah fund so, their ideas. So it's more like a crowdsourcing of you know crowd funding, right? Getting the funds, but that's sure. not the place. It sounds like uh, you guys are doing very different things because that one, you get the money, but you still need to find a place to build your product or finish the design and make it is more like a you know, professionally designed uh, that can be manufactured, yeah. Right. So did right. the Kickstarter, uh, you mentioned that they, they got some money and uh, just continue the story. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure,
2: So, you know, these guys started out and in the Kickstarter world, 80, 90, 100,000 is, is not a lot of money. And in the manufacturing world, by the time molds are built and product is built and shipped, it's it's really not enough to really launch yourselves. But, you know, these guys really hung in there and they they kept working and working. And despite, you know, personal stress and problems and You know, they hung in there and now, especially in Europe, where people really want to eliminate waste in coffee shops through the, you know, the Starbucks cups of Costa Coffee and Second Cup and all these different cups that we buy and throw away. And so now it's a really hot idea to have reusable cups. And the company is called Stojo and or the product is called Stojo and they are now just taking off and it's really Amazing to see a company have a great idea, um, struggle, and now get to a place where they're successful. And uh, you know, I'm so inspired by these people, and it's nice to be part of their journey. Mm
1: -hmm. So, what exactly the kind of uh, cups they designed or manufactured by you guys? So it's no longer plastic.
2: Well, unfortunately, it still is plastic, but uh, I won't reveal their business plans, but they they may be working on solutions for that as well. But it's a silicon cup that collapses. So you take it into Starbucks or wherever and fill it up with coffee. And when you're done with your coffee, you just collapse it down and can throw it in your bag. So so Joe, right? So is is the name of their product and it was one of the only products I've ever had I was on a train from Shanghai to Hangzhou and I sat down with the kid and I drank my coffee and when I was done I collapsed it down and put it in my my bag and a really lovely young woman next to me paid attention to me and said wow that's really cool (laughs) 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 yeah good that you know I was able to get a little bit of attention it. <laughs> yeah. are,
1: are they you know, on, I, on the market already
2: <laughs> yes they're on the market they're selling quite well all over europe and in the united states and uh, you can find them they're on our website and you can find them if you google them s-t-o-j-o uh, and they're doing quite well
1: uh, so they sell directly from their website uh... well i think
2: they sell directly to, to uh, retailers and use distributors but uh but yeah, they're, they're starting to take off and it's great to see their success and, you know, even better to be a part of it and, and um, you know, uh, be a cheerleader for them, which is great.
1: Wow. So one single product they have, right? It looks like, and they don't do the manufacturing by themselves. They are more like the ones that have the design and manufactured by you. And uh, then they work with distributors and all different types of channels. And uh, of course, their direct sales. So they would be able to have a viable business.
2: Yeah, they're doing great. And they'll have lots of new products coming out over the next uh, six months to a year so. From, uh, you know, they're the perfect example of how a great consumer products company gets launched. They start with a an idea and able to make the product. And then from there, they turn in two, three, four, five or more items and, you know, really get themselves going. It's really
1: perfect. Wow. I think uh, just uh, from we take a view from history from many years ago, you know the phases that you went through. It just feels that today it's easier to start a business. When I say this, it's because you do not need to have all these things done end to end. It's you do not need to put you know to to spend a lot of money to set up a manufacturer site and to buy those very expensive equipment to do it. All by yourself, and uh, if you have a great idea, they can, you know, you can find uh, the right people to help you, and uh, together to make it to turn your idea into something that uh, is useful. Is to make it uh, real. So that's just uh, the whole world is changing, and the business uh, business model, business ways uh, have been changed. I just feel it's a lot uh, faster and easier to start in this way.
2: It is. It's an exciting time there there are the right tools to discover your market and to speak to them. And we didn't have those when I first started. We really didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and, and uh, these abilities to speak to people directly. Uh, everything had to be spoken through uh, chain stores. So if you were lucky enough to get into the chain store, well, then you could speak uh, to your market, but you were speaking in, in a very crowded, chaotic place. Whereas now, um, you know, you can really zero in. And if I know that you like something, I can hopefully find you, speak to you, and you'll be interested in what I have to offer because we share the same interests.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about uh, what's your plan or what's your dream for this platform, 8.8, in the future?
2: I think it's it now. I, I'm lucky enough to be living my dream, right? We have quite a number of customers and we have some successful product stories and, you know, I'm doing exactly, thankfully, what I set out to do, which you can always improve and change and, and uh, you know, do things in a better way. But right now, you know, I'm really doing what uh, what I set out to do, which was to help startups uh, launch their products and to be part of their journey.
1: Well, sounds like you are a very happy man. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and enjoy your time in China, and I guess you will stay there. You, uh, you I haven't heard any plan that you are moving back to the U.S.
2: <laughs> oh, no, if my father listens to that, he's going to kill me. He's, he's <laughs> the, uh, almost every week, you know, we talk about when are you coming home, when are you leaving? Uh, but, um yeah, I don't know. Uh, my son, our son is uh, eight years old. And so we're constantly thinking where's the right place for him to be. And of course, I miss California and my parents, but uh, things are good here too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, call it China home for some time and uh, yeah, maybe have two homes.
2: <laughs> sure. China's been great for me and I, I really appreciate being here. And, and uh, people have been, really amazing so uh, I'm, i'm very grateful for uh for my time here
1: i'm so glad to hear that All right. Time flies. I think uh, it's time to say goodbye to you and uh, say goodbye to our audience. Today we have talked about uh, how to bring your ideas live through Chinese manufacturers. And uh, Jacob is one of those. And through the platform, well, Jacob and his partners has a platform called Platform 88. Um, that's a, great platform for people. If you have ideas, if you want to have it made and turn into reality, you can go to platform88.com and find Jacob and the the team and then get their help. So I want to send a special thank you to our wonderful guest, uh, Jacob Rossman here. If you want to find more about uh, the company, uh, go to platform 8 Eight dot com and you can also go to linkedin to find uh, our guest uh, jacob rossman oh
2: thanks for michelle for having me on i really appreciate it
1: you're very welcome you are listening to in china with michelle zhou and i look forward to talking to our audience again next week
0: thank you for tuning into in china with michelle zhou Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.